Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to this week's DevSecOps Coffee Chat. I'm Kirsten Patton, the Working Group Manager at ATARC. The purpose of this series is to provide a platform that invites change agents to share their journey of digital transformation and expand upon their passion and purpose. We want this audience to learn more about digital and IT transformation with evolving technology and a focus on DevOps. The speakers we invite on are effectively improving mission enablement and user experience. These are leaders in the federal space that inspire, educate, and promote innovation and collaboration. Grab your coffee and get ready to hear this Tuesday's inspiring story. I'm now going to hand it over to the host of this series, Jennifer Kenny Smith. Good morning, good afternoon. This is Jennifer Kenny Smith. I'm the area sales manager with GitLab and on behalf of ATARC and our podcast of all things DevSecOps and digital transformation, I'm super excited to introduce my new friend, Justin Marsico, the, the chief data officer and deputy assistant commissioner of the Bureau of Fiscal Services. Good morning, Justin, how are you? I'm good, good morning. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, thanks. So I reached out to you because I've heard you're doing really incredible things all around data, data science, getting to know how to make decisions based on data. And I'm super excited to have you. We haven't had somebody talk deeply about data, how to use it, how to evolve with it, how to apply it to digital transformation. So I appreciate you coming on. Um, I always start these podcasts with asking you to share a little bit about, a little bit about you your journey and your career, and what brought you to your current role at Fiscal Services? Okay, thanks. Yeah, so again, I'm, I'm Justin. I'm currently working as the Chief Data Officer for the, the Fiscal Service, um, which is a part of the Treasury Department. And I'll, I'll come back to what the Fiscal Service does if for those who aren't intimately familiar with the way that uh, federal finance works at the federal government level. Um, but I've been working in the federal government for about 10 years. Uh, I started as a PMF, um, Presidential Management Fellow, uh, about 10 years ago and worked at the Commerce Department. And I've worked at uh, CFPB, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, as well as, as Treasury. Um, but when I worked at the Commerce Department, I spent most of my time uh, working for an oversight entity, um, the Inspector General's Office. Um, and for those who may not know what the, the role of an IG is, it's uh, conducting audits and investigations of a department that, that the office is, is situated in. Um, so I was really focused on compliance, making sure that the department was following the law and the rules um, set forward for, um, for providing the services and, and, uh, and products that the Commerce Department provides. And one of the things that I really started focusing on in that role was trying to use data in, in creative ways. Um, and one of the ways that we did that was by trying to use data to look for new types of oversight work that, that we should do. Um, so instead of just waiting for uh, tips to come in about investigations, uh, that were things that we may need to look into, um, we actually started gathering data to understand what the risks were on the, the horizon and using that as an input into our process to understand um, what we should be looking into, um, what risks were out there. And, and then also I helped to work on um, 
kind of using data to answer questions that we may not have been able to answer before. I'll give you one quick example of, of this and then I can move on to something else. Um, at the time where, when I was working at the Commerce Department, there were a lot of questions about something called time and attendance abuse at the Patent and Trademark Office. And time, time and attendance abuse is basically when, as a federal employee, you say that you're working, but you're not working, you're, you're doing something else. And there were a lot of questions that came up about the extent to which uh, people who are working for um, the Patent Office were actually doing that. Um, and so we thought, well, we can answer this question using data because when you are using a computer, you're on a VPN network, when you're logged onto your computer, there's a record created of that. And we knew that we couldn't use that data to go uh, to look into specific individuals um, because of privacy protections, but we thought we could use this data to step back and take a broader look about whether there was an actual problem um, that the Patent and Trademark Office needed to, to manage. Um, so, so we did that. We took all the data, we wrapped it up, we anonymized it to protect uh, employee privacy as we were doing it. Um, and then we analyzed it. And what we found was that <laughs> as the, the, the week wore on, uh, starting from Monday and ending on Friday, um, there was less and less work that was going on, um, but the same amount of work was being claimed. So people said that they were working eight hours, um, but you know when it got to Friday, it was not looking like there was that amount of ac activity. So that was the kind of like thinking that uh, that we tried to do in that office to think about how to use data creatively to to answer questions. Um, and, you know, I, I see the work that I do today at the, the fiscal service as just an extension of that, like looking at the tools that we have uh, in front of us and then trying to think about how to solve the problems uh, that we have as a, as a bureau. So just a quick little bit of background about what the fiscal service is. So the fiscal service is part of the Department of Treasury. It's the part that helps to manage the finances of the federal government. Um, so the fiscal service helps to disperse payments on behalf of federal agencies. It collects revenue that's due to the government. Um, it sells securities, whether they are savings bonds to individual investors or through auctions to institutional investors. Um, and it also helps to account for how much money agencies have to spend through their appropriations. So, as you can imagine, there's a lot of data that's coming into the fiscal service from around the government. And part of my role is to think about how to use that data effectively and to make sure that it's, it's being managed in the right way so that we can use it effectively. We can use it to answer questions. We can use it to reduce costs and to make ourselves more um, efficient and effective uh, as an entity delivering services to the, to the public. So that's an enormous amount of data that you covered of where all the data is coming from, all the data that you're management, managing and potentially doing queries against or analytics. Um, that's no small undertaking. How big is your team? Like, how do you manage all of that? We do, we have a small, um, uh, a relatively small group of federal employees, um, a couple dozen federal employees, and then we're supported by um, a couple of contracts um, that we have with uh, with consulting firms. And then Treasury also has a unique relationship with uh, Federal Reserve Banks. 
Um, so part of the way that we work is we have partnerships with uh, individual Federal Reserve banks who actually help us create our um, our data architecture or our IT architecture um, in general. So my office works closely with the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City um, and the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis, who are also our, our partners in kind of creating uh, all of the, the data infrastructure um, that we need to um, capture data and then get information out to the public. Okay, interesting. Um, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people didn't know that about your relationship with FRB. Um, so that type of data, I am sure large target of um, folks that wanna get into it or see it or maybe get their hands on it. How do you protect, what is your security approach from if you're looking at data and knowing that you're gonna be going through the tools of analyzing and um, obviously sharing data too, um, how are you securing it? Yeah, I think that the first step along this path is understanding what, uh, you know, what is sensitive in our data and what data, you know, should be disclosed to, to the public. And I actually just want to kind of stop on that point and say that one of the key functions that we do in the fiscal service and one of the, the, the key functions that I do in my office is to help make data available to the public. So, you know, one of the things that I think is really important um, for financial entities to, to think about is that they, because they sit um, at the, the center of, uh, of a lot of activity, they can tell the story about what governments are doing through the use of, uh, of taxpayer or other public resources. So because we're collecting data all the time from agencies across the government, we actually get data from 100 plus federal agencies. Um, it is, it's not easy, but it is easier for us to push that information out to the public to, to tell a kind of unified story about what our government, what the federal government is doing with taxpayer resources. And I think that this is a really important thing for us to, to think about, you know, in a, in a democratic society. I mean, one of the basic functions of government is that we take money away from private individuals and companies and we put it to another use. So it's really incumbent on us um, as representatives of the government to then take the second important step, which is disclosing to the public how those resources are being used, how they're being um, stewarded. Um, and so that's a big focus for us is making sure that data that should be available to the public is available to the public. And right now today, the fiscal service has um, 70 data sets that we routinely uh, update and make available to the public. And those you know, range from things like uh, the official exchange rate <laughs> For the, for the US dollar that's updated uh, on a quarterly basis, to the interest on our debt, to the total amount of, of debt, to the way that the federal government spends money in, in different areas. Um, so that's a, a big focus of mine is making sure that you know, we, we have an understanding of what data can be disclosed. And if it is possible to disclose it, making sure that we are doing it uh, in a way that allows the public to understand it and consume it and to, to use it themselves. 
So with that being said, can you walk me through a little bit about what that looks like? So, I, and I have notes from when we spoke before, data for the people is kind of the umbrella. Um, how are you presenting the data and um, what access to the people that want to see it and understand it and even use it? What does that tool set look like? You know, we talked about open so source. We, yeah, we started a project um, about a year ago where we were looking at the way that we provide data to the public. And what we found at the time was that while we were publishing a lot of data, 70 data sets, like I mentioned before, we were doing it in a way that was, um, it was not uh, a cohesive approach. So we were publishing data across a number of different websites um, in a number of different formats, some with uh, complete metadata, some without metadata, some with data dictionaries, some without data dictionaries. Um, and so the approach that we thought would make sense here would be to bring all of our data together and to, to present it as if we were one agency communicating uh, with the public about, about the data. And so the way that we went about doing this is um, we took, uh, we follow a, 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 a practice called human-centered design. Um, and, and basically what that means is that we are trying to talk with our users at all points of our um, development process, and then making sure that the things that they tell us are being incorporated into our, our design. Um, so when we thought about beginning the process of reworking the way that we disclose data to the public, the way that we did it is we started talking to people. We started talking to people who use our data and we asked them questions like, how do you use the data? How often do you use the data? What are you using it for? And then critically for, for me is like, what are the problems with the way that the data is um, being presented to you today? And so we conducted over hundred interviews like that and we got a couple of key findings um, from uh, the people who are using our data. They told us that we need to have uh, complete metadata in order to understand what the, what the data is. Um, we were told that the data should be made available in uh, API format, not just, you know, you know, not just making it available for, for download. Um, we also were told, and this is like really critical feedback for a financial um, uh, entity is that providing a single snapshot of data in time is not helpful um, to executing the kinds of analyses that people want to execute. You know, so as an example, we have some data sets that we publish on a daily basis, some that we publish on a monthly basis. But if you want to do a trend analysis, you need to go and get all of the months of data, bring them all together yourself as an analyst. Or if you want to do it using the daily data, you know, get 365 uh, uh, days worth of data, you know, times whatever number of years you want, put those all together. Um, so that was one really key piece of feedback that we got was about making historical data a part of the normal data set um, that, that people get. Um, so we took all of that feedback that we got and then we built a new website. We call it Fiscal Data. Um, and you can find the uh, you can find this at fiscaldata.treasury.gov today. Um, and we are in the process of, of bringing all 70 of those data sets onto fiscal data. So far, if you go there today, you'll find 24 of them. Um, 
uh, are there today. We, we took the 24 that have the most traffic, basically. So we wanted to get the information in the format that people wanted it. Um, so if you go to fiscal data, you'll find for all 24 of those data sets, there are complete descriptions, notes about things that are missing or things that are weird about the data sets that you might need to know. Um, and all of those data sets um, are available with historical data attached. Um, and then also through uh, APIs, which we're, we're really happy you know, to see people using. Excellent. That's a great insight. Um, so walk me through a little bit about what life has looked like for you and your team um, with the pandemic, some of the shifts that you've had to make and or even some of the new applications that you've been asked to work and collaborate on with some of these other entities, these other agencies. Yeah, it's it's been it's been so long uh, since the, the the pandemic started and we've been in this remote environment. You know, we're coming up on a year uh, right now. It's, it's kind of hard to remember what what life was like in the uh, in the before times. Um, but you know, when I when I think back, um, I think my you know my office was was well situated, and I think the fiscal service was well situated to go into a fully remote um, environment because we have uh, people in so many different offices that are used to collaborating um, all, the, all the time. So I have staff in, in DC and in um, West Virginia. And I mentioned before that we also have people in uh, Kansas City and St. Louis. Um, so we had a pretty good set of collaboration tools uh, that we were already using. And those have just been kind of beefed up and enhanced um, as we've moved into the uh, into the to the pandemic, um, so I think that it's been um, it's been a pretty successful way for us to move forward um, with our digital transformation. Um, but actually, I wanted to mention one thing about uh, about adjusting to uh, life in a remote work environment that relates to our use of data um, in it. And it started around this time last year when, you know, around this time, a lot of federal agencies made the decision to just send the workforce that could be, uh, that could work from home, home on a, on a, you know, basically an indefinite basis. I think we had some, like, you know, we had some weeks that we had identified as being uh, at home, but those just, you know, kept getting extended um, early on. So once we made that that decision that we would be working from home, immediately among the staff, there were a lot of concerns about when we would be sent back into the office to um, to start, you know, working in the normal way again. And I think that there were a lot of concerns about, you know, how the the management team was going to make those decisions um, about putting people back in the office. And the approach that we took um, at the fiscal service was to use data to make that decision. Um, so, you know, what we decided to do is we said, okay, well, we have offices in these different locations. We have offices in West Virginia and Austin and, and DC, and we're gonna collect data about what the virus footprint looks like in those cities and their commuting areas where our people live. And we're going to make decisions uh, based on uh, metrics that we define and disclose to our staff, you know, so they they kind of understand what the uh, the metrics are. 
and they understand that you know we are not um, you know we're not taking these decisions lightly. Um, we're going to be deliberate about them, and we're going to use uh, use data to make them. And then what we proceeded to do is like build data connections from the the places that provide this data, namely Johns Hopkins and the COVID tracking tracking project at the time. And we built a dashboard. Um, and on the dashboard, you can go in and you can click a different office location, and you can see the number of um, tests in a given area. Uh, you can see the number of uh, confirmed positive cases uh, in a given area and a number of other metrics we were tracking. And we also made the decision that we would take that dashboard, which the management team was using to make decisions about whether we would go back into the office and then also make that same dashboard available to all staff. Um, so we were kind of going through an exercise and, and kind of complete transparency about how this decision you know, was being made. And so we said to the staff, look, these are our criteria for going back to the office. Here's the data. Here's the dashboard that the data exists in. You can monitor it on a day-to-day -day basis, and it's going to be the same tool that we are using to make, to make decisions. And anyway, to make a, a long story unbearable, I think that, uh, that you know, going through those steps helped us to build trust with the staff um, because you know we told them everything that we knew they they understood that there was no there was no area that was behind the curtain we had been you know as transparent as as we could possibly be and i think that you know that trust um really helped i think to like you know keep people feeling good about their employer and then also to keep us all moving in the right direction um, and, and producing value for the, for the public. You know, it's super cool about that point because it's, um, it's such a concerning topic, the healthcare, the wellness of your team, your staff, especially during the flight of fear and panic that the country, the world was in when this probably initiated. Um, as you, when you look at data and you use data that way, you take all the emotion out of it. So people didn't have to be emotional to make a decision based on the data. And I think that's the same point with the, the example you gave of PTO, you know, trying to evaluate if somebody's taking advantage of the system by not producing or performing and still being paid. Um, that's fraudulent, right? So that's abuse of payroll and employment. So that could be pretty emotional if you had to talk to your staff about it. But when you take the emotion out, because data doesn't lie. Uh, so this is profound for me. I, do you have any examples? This is totally not planned, but any examples of in your personal life or you, how you use data to make decisions on your goal setting or even in like how you're coaching your, your team in the agency? Um, you know, one, one thing that comes to mind uh, immediately, this is, not, uh, this is not for my personal life, but it is something that, um, that we're kind of uh, obsessed about looking into is um, we, so we have, I, I mentioned we have a website, fiscal data, which is available at fiscaldata.treasury.gov. Um, and we have another website that we manage um, on my team, which is called usaspending.gov. Um, and just to, uh, for those who are not familiar with USA spending, it is uh, a central repository for information on contracts, grants, loans that any federal agency um, across the government issues. So if you're interested in seeing 
um, where SBA's PPP loans went and to whom. Um, USA Spending has that, that information. Um, so one of the, the things that I mentioned uh, before is like we, we really want to bring data to the people. Um, and one of the ways that, that we measure that uh, and measure our own success is by looking at the traffic to, uh, to our websites um, and understanding um, the extent to which products that we release on our websites or features that we release on our websites or even, you know, marketing campaigns that we do, the extent to which that actually increases the, the traffic. Because like our goal is to get these products and get this data in front of regular Americans. We want people to feel connected to their government and to feel like they have trust in government um, by providing them with, you know, clear, accurate, unbiased information. Um, but in order to achieve our goal, like we actually have to reach Americans. So that's something that we're always kind of looking at and trying to, to use data to understand is like how many uh, users did we get to our site, you know, today versus this time last week? How many did we get this month versus last month versus um, this month last year? Um, and, and what are the causes um, for people coming to our site and how can we increase them? So anyway, that's like the first thing that comes to mind because we're like always kind of tracking that information and, and trying to, to see what we can do to, you know, get more eyeballs in front of our, um, our public products. Yeah, I was thinking, I feel like you could write like an app on people for their weight loss journey. Like, here's the truth. Here's the non-emotion. This is what you're actually eating your calories in. This is your expenditure. This is when you didn't work out. And then if you look at the data that way, you're not going to feel bad about it. You're like, well, either I'm doing it or I'm not. <laughs> the truth is behind the data. And then how you, you use it. I feel like you probably love pivot tables and graphs. Like, is that good for you? <laughs> yeah, we do. We we support all types of uh, all types of data analysis. I mean, one thing that I do that we do try to push, like from an analytics perspective, is like, um, you know, there are many good uses of Excel and, and pivot tables. Um, but you know, the extent to which we need our work to be repeatable. Um, we're trying to encourage people internally to use um, programming languages like R or Python or, you know, or even SAS. Um, and, and really the reason for that, or one of the reasons for that um, is that, you know, when you write code, all of the steps that you're taking are there forever. You know, as long as the file is saved, like somebody can go back and see exactly what you did. Um, which is a little bit trickier to do, um, you know, when you're in, uh, when you're making a lot of like manual manipulations, like in an Excel spreadsheet. Um, so, you know, there are plenty of like good uses for, for that. Um, but yeah, our, our general direction is like trying to, to push towards like, you know, repeatable methods of creating um, analytics where your methodology itself is, is, uh, um, is completely disclosed. I'll actually add one more thing that, that came to mind about um, my personal use of data. So right before uh, the holidays, it was actually the last day um, before I was going to take vacation. I took, off, I took work off an hour early and I was like, I'm going to go you know, for a run and that will be the, um, the, the kind of introduction to my, you know, my vacation. 
and um, it'll be great. And so I went out for a run and I slipped and broke my ankle. And it was, yeah, it was not a, a good uh, situation. Luckily, I didn't, you know, hit my head or, or get hit by a car or anything like that. It was just like a simple, a simple break. Um, and so I was like basically, you know, in bed with my foot up uh, for the first week and haven't been able to get around that much um, until recently um, when my doctor gave me the permission to, you know, start walking around, which is like a little difficult, um, but I've been walking around and I've been kind of obsessively tracking how much uh, I'm walking per day as like an indicator of like how, you know, you know, how my recovery is going. Um, and last weekend I was able to, to go for a couple of runs and I was like really excited that I went for two miles. And that was like my metric for like, okay, I feel like I'm back on the right, uh, the right, the right path again. So I don't know that that's an example that's devoid of emotion. It was kind of, uh, imbued with emotion (laughs) (laughs) and other kinds of feelings, but, uh, yeah, that's my own use of data. That's awesome. For those of you who aren't watching this, you could, you're missing Justin's huge smile, big victory there. So that's awesome. I can't imagine. Broken ankle sounds terribly painful. Oh my goodness. Um, okay. So one other thing I want to t- um, cover, we you briefly touched on treasury and taxpayer dollars and where that goes to. I think people are always curious about that, but do you have any other fun facts, fun stories about treasury or fiscal services? Something that the general public probably doesn't know that you do. Um, Harrison Smith was on a few weeks ago, well, I guess a few months ago now and, and shared a little bit about the fun facts because I think taxes is emotional for a lot of people and they're very resistant to want to give up that part of their income. So what should people know about what you're doing for the greater good? Well, one thing that I'll point out is that if you go, um, we have a, a, a product um, which is called Your Guide to America's Finances. And I know that I, I, I'm, I, it seems like I just keep like pitching different products for people to check out. Um, but one thing that I think is interesting about uh, this product, it's basically meant to be a year in review for federal government finance. So if you're not interested in going to fiscal data to like get data sets and do analysis yourself, or you know, you're not interested in um, you know, going to see where uh, SBA PPP loans went or you know, DOD contracts go, um, you just want to like a broad high level overview um, of the, the federal government's financial operations. We have this really cool product called Your Guide to America's Finances. And basically what it tries to do is to say, um, this is the amount of revenue uh, that the federal government brought in, you know, through taxes and other forms of um, uh, collection over the last year. This is the amount of spending uh, that took place over the year. And here are some high level, you know, pieces of information about um, uh, about that spending. Here's what the deficit is and, and here's what the debt is. And one of the things that I think is really cool about this product is that it tries to it tries to translate these really big numbers into bite-sized pieces of information that you can you can understand. So I'll just give you a quick example here. So in fiscal year 2020, the federal government collected 3.42 trillion dollars in revenue. Um, so if you go to your guide to America's finances, you can see that. But you can also click on a little modal that will pop up and and let you know that you know if you're having a hard time conceiving of what 3.4 trillion uh dollars 
consists of, it's about $108,000 per second, every second um, of the year. Um, so that's like the amount of money that, that's coming into the, to the federal government. Now, last year was also um, unique because of the CARES Act and other um, COVID stimulus uh, spending. So we, in fiscal year 20, we ended up spending 6.55 trillion. Um, and that amounts to $210,000 uh, per second, um, every second. So I think that those kinds of like facts help to translate these like big esoteric concepts into uh, things that people can can actually understand. And actually one more uh, cool fact um, about the, the size of the, the federal government as measured by um, as measured by the amount of money that it spends. The, the federal government, uh, US federal government is actually larger um, by dollars than the GDP of any country in the world except for China. Um, so if you made just the federal government um, a country, it would it would be very close to the to the top of the list, and that's how uh, that's how large it is um, with its financial footprint. But if you're interested in more facts um, about that, you can go to uh, datalab.usaspending.gov and then click on your guide to America's finances uh, for more cool facts you can share with your friends and family about federal government finances. Yeah, so that's a lot of money. Um, so I want to wrap up. Thank you so much. I love your passion about data, um, data for the people and making decisions based on data and your team and your mission of taking the data of the money from Treasury and the other entities and being totally transparent with it and serving that up to the public to consume. So really awesome information. I am so grateful for the time and thanks for teaching us, sharing with us and uh, allowing us some time together. Anything else you wanna finish with? Any last words? I don't think so. I think I've, I've talked enough. Hopefully some of your listeners will find uh, value in, in, uh, in our conversation, but I certainly enjoyed it. Thanks, Jennifer. You're welcome. All right, folks, thank you so much.